came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. We have a great show for you today. We have Congressman Peter King, Governor David Patterson, Steve Cates on Looking Up in Our Skies, Anthony Scaramucci, who will be boxing it out with Governor Cuomo on right and wrong or right or left. But we're going to see. We're going to talk about it today. Gabe Kaminsky, and he'll be talking about what the heck is going on in our school system with drugs. And Governor Andrew Cuomo who will be sparring it out with Anthony Scaramucci on right and left. And let's start off the show with Michael Stoller on Real Estate Report. Good morning. This is Michael Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Report on the Cats Roundtable. This morning I have the leaders, the guys who know what's going on in the residential rental business and the condo business. As I call them, Robin, Batman and Robin because they are always together. I have Stephen Kligerman, who is the president of Brown Harris Stevens Development Marketing, and his sidekick, Robin, over there, who is the executive managing director at Brown Harris Stevens Development Marketing. So how do we look at it th- today? Was it, was it a good summer, or as we we're in the fourth quarter, what's going to happen? I think it was a typical summer. Uh, typically, business slows down in the summertime, but you know, interest rates rising... Uh, and the political atmosphere definitely led to, I'd say, a slower summer than we had expected. Uh, I was with Greg Heim, our uh, our uh, chief economist, the other day, and you know he was saying, you know, we had expected to actually have been in or just coming through a recession by now, which obviously never happened, which has kept interest rates higher longer than we expected, which impacted the entire market. Robin, the other day you and I were talking on the phone. You were talking about the size of the market, the number of units, and the absorption. Let's talk a little bit about that. Sure. So for the first time in probably five years, the new development market, as it relates to real inventory, um, and real inventory means any units that are either actively being marketed or units that are uh, what we call shadow inventory that actually exist, that that total number is now approximately 5,000 units in Manhattan, and in the New Devil market, we, we absorb roughly 1,500 units a year, right? So we're, we're getting close to somewhere between three and four years of real month supply, and to us, that's a, that's a stable market going forward. Now, what was it uh, after COVID? Um, so we were hovering somewhere in, in the uh, 6,500 range, um, and what's interesting, you know, Steve mentioned sales have been slower over the third quarter, but when you look at the new units being introduced to the marketplace versus absorption, we're, at, we're actually outpacing the, the, new, the number of new units come to, coming online. Let's talk about opportunities for developers because, you know, we have a market of a building like One Wall Street, and you've had other buildings, you know, that people are looking right now to convert office buildings, which are not being doing well, into residential rentals and re- residential condos, especially down in the Wall Street area. What's your thoughts? What's happening on that? And I know you're doing some evaluation for certain landlords 
and owners with regard to that. Yeah, so Robin and I have been looking at a lot of opportunities for office to residential conversions. Uh, it, it poses uh, both an opportunity and a challenge because a lot of the more modern office buildings actually don't convert well to residential. They're too deep. Uh, they don't have operable windows. Their mechanical systems would need to be completely changed out where some of the more historic buildings, the loft buildings in Chelsea per se, do present opportunity for a residential conversion. So we've been asked uh, by numerous landlords to evaluate those opportunities for them. You mentioned Lower Manhattan. There's you know, two huge projects going on down there right now um, You know that will add uh, over a thousand rental units to the market when they come to market. But those were, I think, very specific opportunities in, in a neighborhood that, right. you that, had that the, allowed the, it for the it. The buildings were vacant or, right. or near vacant, so they didn't have to buy out tenants right. or anything like that. But we're, we're talking more of the what about the B and C buildings, you know, in the Garment Center or the Nomad area? Yeah, we found that the, you know, mid block buildings, unfortunately, just don't work. You, you know, you, you don't have proper legal light and air. Um, and then you're, you're stuck with windows, you know, in two directions. Um, so thankfully, we've been able to work with some landlords that have prime corners um, where the core, which is the, the elevator, is in the exact right place we would want it for a residential standpoint. Um, and so we do think there are some, uh, I'll call it, you know, diamonds in the rough. Um, and it's just working through a lot of that evaluation work. So our team has a very strict process where we work with our in-house architect. We block out, you know, all the, the typical floor plates to understand what it would look like from a residential use. And we will show it to the landlords as um, where you take the core and you move it to the ideal location or you just keep it and we project revenues, whether it be condos and rentals. And we are starting to see some opportunity given where these class B and C buildings are, are trading. You know, they're, they're in the, I think you're seeing some that are in the 200 or even $300 per square foot range. Right. So that's essentially so the way, price way, of land. Way down from $800 or, or more on that. What about residential rents? I mean, rents throughout the city have been skyrocketing ever since COVID started to sunset. Uh, right now in Manhattan, any new, well, first of all, there's almost no new rental product being built right now because of the lack of a 421A. But the things that are in the pipeline right now are all penciling between 100 and $110 per square foot on an average. For their and, and, they, they, and they were projected at eighty dollars. They were projected at between seventy-five and eighty. So you're talking about a third, twenty-five to thirty percent premium to where they were projected in Brooklyn, in the better neighborhoods of Brooklyn. Now, eighty dollars a square foot is becoming the norm. In Long Island City, I'd say seventy-five dollars has become pretty much the norm. So you know, rents throughout the city have have gone up, uh, and mainly because again, it's a supply and demand equation. I'd like to thank Robin and Stephen, otherwise known as Batman and Robin, uh, for being with me today. And I'll see you next week on the Stolar Real Estate Report on the Cancer Round Day. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thanks, Mike. With us today is Congressman Peter King. Uh, Congressman King, so many things are happening. Where do you want to start this Sunday morning? John, I guess what concerns me most is that, you know, the war between Israel and Hamas, and really it's Hamas and Iran and Hezbollah, certainly Iran, is would be difficult enough. Clearly, I'm on the side of Israel. Most Americans should be. But what bothers me here is that there's such a division within the country, even between generations. 
you know, we had Mark Penn was on uh, uh, Accounts and Cosby this week, and I've been talking to Mark separately also, and he did a recent poll where people over the age of 65, 95% of them support Israel against Hamas. But people 18 and 34, it's almost 50-50, and 35% of people in that age bracket don't even believe that Hamas attacked Israel. They think it's all fake news. I think it's make-believe. And I don't know, I don't think there's ever been such a division between generations as, as there is now. And this is really, to me, a moral issue. I mean, you can have views regarding the Israelis and the Palestinians between Gaza and Hamas to have honest differences. But for anyone to say that Hamas did not attack Israel, that they were not brutal, brutal, vicious, horrific murders and torture and killing and taking hostages, if anyone doesn't realize that, to me, is is really scary. And when you find that among younger people, it's 50-50. And 35% don't even believe that it happened. Uh, I don't think we've had, that'd be like after Pearl Harbor saying your Japanese didn't attack Pearl Harbor. Congressman King, you've served in Washington for 28 years. How about the new speaker? Do you uh, know him at all? So I know him not that well, but I know him well enough to say that I think he's very qualified, even though he's very conservative, which obviously a lot of people would like, but he can deal with all factions of the party. He's going to try and bring together a majority on as many issues as he can. And my dealings with him are he was he's from Louisiana. He's an excellent lawyer and a family man, well-liked. There's no sharp elbows, no temper tantrums, no acting important or anything like that. But more than that, he was one of the few people from the South, among the conservative Republicans in the South, who was right up front supporting the 9-11 compensation. He was on the, I guess it was the House Judiciary Committee then, and he was excellent. He came out early to co-sponsor the legislation, and it meant something. It's one thing if you're from New York and you support it. You know, you're supposed to, you're expected to, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. Let's have someone from Shreveport, Louisiana, who was only then in his uh, second term in Congress, and uh, for him to uh, come out that way, to me, was a, a real sign of him being a good guy. There was nothing in it for him politically. It didn't help at all politically. Probably didn't hurt him either, but it certainly didn't help him. And he did it because it was the right thing. And also, it shows his blue-collar roots because his father was a firefighter in Louisiana who was almost killed in a fire. He was burned all over his body, severe, severe uh, burns, injuries, and it really impacted him for the rest of his life. And that left a, a, real, a real impact on Mike Johnson. So I think he is going to do the job. He is... Again, dedicated, he's honest, and people may disagree with different views he has, but he's not going to be imposing them on people. What he's going to do is trying to get a majority of as many Republicans as he can to support legislation, work with the Democrats to get the best deal he can between the two of them. So uh, you're not going to see him throwing bombs. You're not going to see him throwing temper tantrums. So I, I think, and he's very smart. So I, I think uh, Mike Johnson will be probably the right man for this time. Maybe in other years he wouldn't have been the first choice, but considering where the country is now, where the Republican Party is right now, all of the dissension and tumults and personality differences in Congress, Mike Johnson, I think, has turned out to be you know, the man for the job. So I hope he does well. I know that the Long Island delegation, uh, Anthony D'Esposito, Andrew Garbarino, Nicole Loda, they strongly supported him. And you know, they, they feel they can work with him, uh, whether or not he agrees with them on every issue. He understands their concerns and will try to find a way to accommodate them and make it part of the overall Republican uh, view. Not too many people. I've been asking around. 
all of uh, Friday, all of Saturday. Nobody knows him. He's very n- not known around town, and uh, he, uh, you know, he hasn't gotten around uh, to uh, for people to know him. So uh, I think that's going to be one of his handicaps. We got another minute or so to go. Or, or, yeah, or, or it could be a plus. You know, he's not going to start off with many enemies either. So it's up to him. I think the, you know, the challenge is now. Uh, it's up to him to take advantage of the fact that by not being well-known, he doesn't have many enemies either. So take advantage of that and go forward. Anything else you'd like to speak about this Sunday morning? No, just, John, again, you know, when I uh, park my car and walk up Third Avenue to the uh, studio, and you just look around, and, you know, it's not the Manhattan we knew just a few years ago. I mean, there's so many. And then driving back home, you know, through the city, just seeing that whole cast of characters that are out there. It's, uh, you know, know, people were, you know, the drug addicts, the homeless, people uh, riding on and off the sidewalks on motorbikes. And uh, it's it's just a a decline in the quality of life in in New York. And that's in addition to the increase in crime. So I I hope this turned around. We're going to make New York. New York is the greatest city in the world. I hope we get it turned around, uh, Congressman. Uh, I mean, last week uh, it was published again that the drop in population in New York City, New York State, was like 540,000. We had more than half a million people leaving New York. So so somewhere along the way, the crap is going to hit the fan, if you remember what the old expression was. Right. Yeah, it's going to happen. And it's so... Uh, I mean, so much has to be brought back. We have to bring back basic standards. We have to bring back the respect for the police, respect for teachers, just respect for your fellow men and women. But again, some of the conduct you see out in the streets, the people are uh, afraid often to walk the streets, certainly afraid to take the subways. And when people say they're not, but then you say, well, would you want your daughter to take the subway? Would you want your teenage son to take the subway? They say, no, you know, they don't because they, it's just, it, it's been such a decline. I hope Mayor Adams can get it together. You know, the new police commissioner, Kavan, hopefully he can get it together. Uh, and uh, the governor has to pitch in more. It's a, just a, a decline in values, a decline in personal morality. It's like Manhattan having one nail in a coffin. And with the congestion pricing they want to pass, it's oh, going yeah. to be like two nails in a coffin. That's going to be, you think how much that's going to add on to the average working person who has to drive into the city. That's going to add to their, you know, their costs. People have to visit your relatives in the hospital. People have to make deliveries. It's just going to be, uh, it's such an impediment to to business, an impediment to the average working person. And uh, it's coming at the worst possible time. When the city is in serious decline, this is going to make it more of a decline. It's just totally, totally counterproductive. Congressman Peter King, thank you for your input this Sunday morning, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank you, John. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. What is today is Governor David Patterson, and uh, he's with us every Sunday morning to find out where the heck we are in, uh, in, in democratic politics or the world. 
Uh, Governor uh, Patterson, uh, where the heck are we? Well, John, in the last three weeks, we've had a pretty tumultuous period, starting with the October 7th attack by the uh, forces of evil from and others. And then when Israel tries to defend itself, they tell them that they keep firing, they're going to kill hostages. Then they release a few hostages who they treated well to get them to say that they really weren't bad people. So we went through that. We've had four votes for the Speaker of the House. They finally selected Congressman Michael Johnson from Louisiana. You have to go back to the 19th century to find someone who had been in the House for a shorter period of time and became the Speaker. But hopefully this will provide some direction to try and get the debt straightened out over the next month. And then we had a mass shooting in Lewiston, Maine on Wednesday night, which opens the door to the fact that this particular individual did seek mental health. He spent two weeks in a mental health facility and they let him out, but they uh, don't have any uh, red flags. They can't take his guns away from him. But we'll be curious to find out if they ever even asked him if he'd give up his weapons because he said he was hearing voices. I mean, you could regress in a heartbeat when you've had that kind of mental problem. But in all of this, Mayor Adams has made the statement, we are out of room, relating to New York City's ability to uh, pick up the cost uh, for migrant care. Uh, And he assesses the cost itself at $394 a day for each household per day. And that translates into $245 million that's been spent since this migrant crisis started. And he is in position right now where he's talking about bringing out tents for migrants, which um, is really the last safety net. I mean, after a tent, you're just sitting on the ground by yourself. And at the same time, he's legally required to provide service to if there's public homelessness. So he's in a between a rock and a hard place. And Adams, I really think, deserves some some compliment here from all New Yorkers, because he's gone against what has been basically the policy that has existed in New York City politics of, uh, you know, always finding a place for, for immigrants or migrants or homeless or people with mental health uh, uh, difficulties. He's the one who's coming out and saying we have no place for them. And other than help that he's received from Governor Hochul, which is very good, but not nearly enough, New York City, after all these other situations that have gone on in the past weeks, including the protests in New York City, New York City has got a whole lot of problems right now. I understand. And uh, somebody had said to um, Governor Hochul and to David Patterson, you can't invite 8 billion people that are on Earth to New York. So he's absolutely, uh, you know, the governor and the mayor is right. You can't invite everybody. I think um, Mayor Adams has done far beyond the call of duty already. So, I mean, they they shouldn't accept the buses. And I like the the, the quote when he says we're out of room. It's not like we don't wish we had room. It's that we're out of room. And everybody's been to a hotel or a motel at some point, and they tell you we're out of room. That's the final statement that gets made on these situations unless there's some significant help that's going to come from the federal government, who seems to think that everybody, that there's room for everyone in New York City. It's a serious problem. I mean, the other serious problem we have, and I heard um, Bill O'Reilly uh, talk about it the other day, uh, are guns. 
uh, everybody's trying to blame the guns, but it seems like the criminals and the crazies and the bad people always have the guns. It's the legitimate people that they want to take the guns away from. Yeah, and what's kind of sad about the situation in Lewiston, Maine, is that this guy was at one point an arms expert in the military. He taught other people how to use guns. Apparently, he must have had some sort of intervention. And, uh, and what at least he did is he did seek mental health. But if a person can flip out and, and start hearing voices to tell him to shoot up the military base, and then in the end, he goes and shoots up a bowling alley and a bar and, and a store, it, it demonstrates that there's got to be some capacity for the psychiatric evaluators to make a decision, even if there's no red flag, as there's no red flag in, in Maine. But, and you can see why. They don't have these types of crimes, or basically, ever. The only time I ever heard of Lewiston, Maine, was when Sonny Liston and Muhammad Ali had a fight there in 1965. But the issue is that there's got to be more of an opportunity for us to stop people who we know are having this difficulty and at least wait, have them wait six months, not two weeks, before we let them out, not even knowing whether or not they still have the weapons. I, I think it's an important issue. The uh, sanity issue, and if you leave these people on the streets uh, and not in hospitals, the issue about guns, taking them away from legitimate people, especially a lot of the Israelis, uh, Governor Patterson, if they had guns to defend themselves, uh, maybe their, their families would not have died. And uh, right well, the now, first thing a lot of the people in Maine did when they heard that, yeah. right? I was just going to say that the first thing that a lot of people that, you know, you saw being interviewed Wednesday and Thursday and Friday said that as soon as they heard that there was a mass shooting, they went and loaded their uh, firearms and their handguns. And that's exactly what they should do, because of being told to, uh, you know, stay in place. They have to be able to defend their property. And these are not the people we're looking for. We're looking for the people who are hardened criminals or people who have mental health issues that have caused them to become unnecessarily violent with, at, and with, uh, equipped with firearms. I, I agree 100%. We just have to have some common sense prevail. Is there anything else you, on a Sunday morning you want to get off your chest? Well, I think that uh, it should be very interesting to see now how the House operates with the new speaker, uh, Congressman Michael Johnson from Louisiana, he was willing enough to make concessions to get some of the more moderate uh, Republicans, particularly six of them from Long Island, to support him. And uh, now the question will be, can they get together with the Democrats and create a spending plan that sends aid to Israel? And let's not forget sending aid to the Ukraine and also perhaps we can use to start to offset our debt a little bit. If we could do something like that next month, it would be uh, a, a real uptick in, in government responsibility. Governor uh, David Patterson, thank you for your input. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Take care, John. Okay. With us today is Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky, and we talk to him every Sunday morning to see what's going on up in the planets and the skies and in the world. Good morning, Steve Cates. Tell us what's going on. Well, good morning. Good and happy Sunday morning to you and the listeners of the Cats Roundtable. John, in this edition, we're going to introduce a story that's kind of interesting. The Earth may have other small moons, not just the moon itself. And the story on that is this. A near-Earth asteroid 
may be part of our moon. In other words, it might have come from our moon. These are called near-Earth asteroids. And it has an interesting name because it was discovered by astronomers in Hawaii. It's known as Kamo o Aliwa. It's 150 feet in diameter. And as I said before, maybe part of our moon created by an explosion of an asteroid that pushed this object into space. So now we find out that the Earth, among other little objects, may have a small moon in addition to our regular moon. And how do they think it's part of the moon? They analyze the spectrum, you know, to find out what it's made of. And it matches many of the rocks that the astronauts found from Apollo 14. And there's going to be a spacecraft sent by the Chinese known as Tianwen-2 in May of 2025 to try to scoop up samples. So the adventure and the mystery just continues. Amazing, don't you think? It is amazing. How long do you think this is up there like that? They're saying, John, that this probably was up there for a couple of hundred million years, but we only detected it just recently. And if all goes well, well, first of all, it only gets within 9 million miles of the Earth. It's not going to hit us anytime soon. That's the good news, folks. But what's interesting about it, astronomers wait, say that it may be ma- un- Wait, 9 million miles of the Earth? I mean, how far is the moon? 9 million miles away. Well, the moon's only 250,000 miles away so that, on that, So that one is really far. It is, and lucky for us. But it may be in orbit, John, as they're saying, maybe for at least 300 years around the Earth. So the point is, the Earth may have other objects that orbit around it, not just the big object we call the regular Earth's moon, which is fascinating. Did we create a and name then we yet? move on. Well, that's the name that they gave. It's a name, I'm not sure how, what it means in Hawaiian, but the name again is Kamo Oaliwa, which has wow. something to do with some sacred rituals in Hawaii. They name a lot of these objects after the goddesses and gods in ancient history that come from mythology in the Pacific Islands. Fascinating stuff. But, John, we moved from there deep out into the solar system with the Voyager spacecraft. You know, in 1977, both of these objects were launched out into space. And they're still working. 46 years ago. Absolutely. And I remember in New York City, I watched the launch. And now I'm here, what, as I'm 67 years young. It seems like, you know, a long time ago. But the spacecraft, John, is still orbiting out into space. The Voyager 1 is 15 billion miles away from the Earth, and the Voyager 2 is 12.5 billion miles away from the Earth. And they had a few issues a few years ago about sending back some bad data. So what did NASA do? They sent a whole new software upgrade. Imagine this, a software upgrade just to send out to the spacecraft. It takes 23 hours. Imagine when you and I download something off the Internet. It usually takes, well, the larger the file, the longer the time. But can you imagine 23 hours? to one of those, the Voyager 1. That is amazing. It's the farthest man-made object ever in space, and it's still continuing to tick. That is incredible. And and it it is sending back signals? It sure is. And even though we're talking about sending it one way, it takes that many hours, let's say with Voyager 1, 23 hours just to pick it up. And you may be wondering, John, how do they pick up a signal like that? Well, out in the Mojave Desert and around the world, there are these gigantic antennas. You may have seen them in the movie like Contact. One's called the Goldstone Tracking Network. I think it's like a 230-foot giant, looks like a giant radio telescope. So imagine the frequency coming from that far. They're still able to perceive it. I find that quite amazing. But, John, we always talk about the mystery of the week. And the mystery of the week, this is kind of interesting, I thought, so people can really see how we expand their minds. How long would it take you to drive to space? Well, space is officially listed at 62 miles above the Earth. 
called the Carmen line. So if you were to drive at 60 miles an hour, which most people don't, but if you did that, it would take you obviously a little over an hour straight up, as ludicrous as that sounds. But to get to the space station, which is about 250 miles above the Earth, it would take you four hours of drive time. We've driven four, mile, four hours in cars before, but imagine that. But here comes the bizarre one. If you drove to the moon at the same speed, it takes 175 days. Now, that seems crazy, but here's one. If you actually walk to the moon, talking about this totally bizarre thing, the average speed of a walker is maybe about three and a half miles per hour. It would take you and I, John, 7.3 years. John, my legs are tired. So the mystery solved. Even the moon that close would take that long. So can you imagine how far these other objects are in space? That's amazing. It is amazing. And uh, that's what expands our minds. Absolutely. And just in time for Halloween, I wanted to add this from Albert Einstein. He wasn't really a big fan of quantum physics. That's the stuff we're talking about, about how the universe works in the super subatomic level. He called it, and I quote, spooky action at a distance, end quote, apropos for Halloween. But he also said something very interesting. Einstein believed everything had empirical data that you did in you know, calculations on a board. And his quote goes like this, God does not play dice with the universe, end quote. Amazing things, John, as we expand people's minds and encourage them to go to wabcradio.com for the Dr. Sky experience. And it's always a privilege and honor to be here on the Cats Roundtable doing what, John? Expanding our minds on things we probably don't hear about and appreciate you and the entire station and staff. Well, thank you, uh, Dr. Uh, Sky, Steve Cates, and uh, hope to see you in person soon and uh, break some bread together. Yes, John, I look forward to that, and have a great Sunday to you and the okay. listeners. Thank you so Take much. Take care. Bye-bye. This is the Catch Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. With us today is Anthony Scaramucci, and a good friend of ours. Uh, he was a founder and managing partner of Skybridge uh, uh, Partners, and uh, he was chairman, founder and chairman of SOAR, uh, and uh, he was at the White House for at least 10, 11 days. Uh, Anthony Scaramucci, you tell us where you were. You, you know, we've, we've been together for a long time. Last week, you might have made an extra billion dollars with, uh, with bitcoins <laughs> going to, from 27000 up to 34000 Tell us, how, how does it feel to have a billion dollars more in a week? <laughs> You're projecting. That's because you're making all this money off of WABC. You're projecting Casamatidis. But, you know, it's always it's always great to be on with you. But I was there for 11 days. Don't chip me and say 10. Um, you can't chip me out of 9.1% of my federal career. That wouldn't be fair, right? Did you get a pension? I didn't get a pension, but I got a, I got a two-cent check from the GSA that I have framed in my office. And I got you know, a And remember, I was, I only, I was a, only working for a dollar a year, so that's. That's, that's what the breakdown was. I have a, a copy of a check that they sent me, a $1,400 refund, uh, which I didn't ask for. So I, have a, I, I framed that check and I put it up. But they got even yeah, with there me. There you go, me too. You know what they, oh, yeah, they no, got they even with me? They wire transferred me the money and I couldn't send it back. <laughs> there you go. But, Tell us but I, now, I'm, I'm you have to... a special day on Tuesday. You and uh, Governor a Andrew Cuomo are going to swing it out in the special two-hour special on WABC. 
Well, I first of all appreciate the opportunity. Andrew's a dear friend, but he got a lot wrong, and a lot of the problems that were faced here in New York is a result of these left-leaning policies and these left-leaning strategies. And so we went from a city that had no crime, very low murder rate, to a city where uh, common people don't feel safe. We've also got less than 36% of the kids are showing up at time in the public school, and we're way below the 50% graduation now in the public school system. And you know we can get we we can talk for hours on the migrant crisis, all of this stuff being mishandled by hard left-leaning policies. And so Andrew's going to have to face the music on Tuesday. Well, that's going to be something. I look forward to it. I mean, you guys are, are two very smart guys. You're, you're, you're very cool. You're very smart. And you guys are going to swing it out, and uh, it's going to be very entertaining on Tuesday afternoon, 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock on WABC. I, it's going to be entertaining, but it's also going to be hard-hitting. I'm coming prepared with the facts, John, because uh, Andrew, Governor Cuomo's got to answer for this. Uh, Governor Hockle uh, has to answer for this. Uh, Listen, we're both New Yorkers, you and I, and I want to stay in New York. I've got, um, you know, my, my residence. I pay taxes here in New York. But these guys have not done the right thing for the city, you know, and so they have to answer for it. And, I'm, I, you know, and I, I'm going to be ready. I'll be, I'll be prepared with the entire list to go through. Uh, and then we got to talk about the national situation and the broader geopolitical situation, which is also not going well. Understood. Um what else would you like to tell? You know, it's Sunday morning. We're both drinking uh, uh, some uh, black coffee. Uh, what else do you, know, you have on your, on your mind uh, this week? I mean, Bitcoin went from uh, 26,000, 27,000 to 33, 34,000. What was the reasoning behind it going up so fast? Well, first of all, I want to thank you for bringing me on when the New York Post was uh, uh, drawing pictures of me sinking in my Bitcoin boat. Uh, when Bitcoin was at 16,000, I came on your show a little under a year ago and explained to people why Bitcoin would ultimately be a flight to quality for people. Uh, and you fast forward uh, 9, 10, 11 months, Larry Fink, the largest, the CEO of BlackRock, the largest asset manager in the United States, has filed for a Bitcoin ETF. And the likelihood of him getting it is quite high. And that is the market's reaction to the eventuality of the U.S. regulatory authorities blessing a cash Bitcoin ETF in the U.S., John. And so um, we think Bitcoin is intrinsically valued at around 50000 uh, but it's been depressed because of the fraud and criminality of the likes of Sam Bankman-Fried and others last year. Uh, but what, what's happening right now is the broader marketplace is getting ready for institutional demand it won't just be BlackRock. It'll be Fidelity, ARK Asset Management, Volcari. Many others are likely to get the ETF approved at the same time. Uh, and they have very large sales teams and capital asset allocation strategies. That th we think this is going to push the price up. And just to remind your listeners, there's only 21 million Bitcoins out there. Some of them were lost in the early days. Uh, and so there's probably only 16 or 17 million left in the society. Um very, very hard to own a full Bitcoin for somebody. And so this is the reason why the price is going higher. Anthony Scaramucci, thank you for coming on this Sunday morning. 
I am looking to this, your swing out with Andrew Cuomo on uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo on uh, Tuesday between one o'clock and three o'clock on WABC. John, can you hear the Rocky music behind me? I'm I'm drinking raw eggs right now on a Sunday morning, getting ready for this fight. Can Rocky, you hear the Rocky music? Rocky, Rocky. <laughs> Have a great I look Sunday, forward John. to it. I'm Thanks sure it's going to be. I'm sure it's going to be very entertaining. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. God bless. With us today is uh, uh, Gabe Kaminsky. He is a reporter with the Washington Examiner. And he called me and says he's got some real good stories about a story about what's really going on and uh, with the uh, teachers union. And Gabe Kaminsky, please tell us and tell the, tell the world about what's going on. Yeah, John, thanks for having me. Um, On October 17th, a teacher at MS-131, Dr. Sun Yat Sen Middle School in New York, that's in Chinatown, uh, named Judy Chang, she sent an email um, to members of the United Federation of Teachers Union in her school. She's the uh, uh, representative for the union in her school. essentially justifying the Hamas terror attacks against Israel. She said, quote, it pains me to see the New York City schools chancellor and union making recent public statements denouncing October 7th actions of Palestinian militants, uh, but not the last 75 years of genocidal, illegal Israeli colonialist occupation, which created the inhumane conditions that led to the terror attacks. Um, So we reported on this email in the Washington Examiner and spoke with um, uh, other educators in this district, as well as members of Congress who take major issue with it. Um, and one member of Congress, Anthony Diaz-Bacito, um, is actually calling for the New York Department of Education to launch an investigation. So where, where do you think it's going to? Have you heard any updates on that? Yeah, we don't have any updates at the moment. All we can say is, um, you know, we, we published the email that this union chapter had uh, had sent to um, uh, you know, the, the rest of the school, um, and it's raising concerns, particularly among educators. I mean, you've seen since the Hamas terror attacks against Israel, there's been major backlash due to the fact uh, that in K through 12 in universities, as you've seen, John, there's been this major anti-Israel sentiment, um, uh, uh, particularly, I would even note, Uh, Putting aside New York City, um, uh, this week at George Washington University, there were projections, as your listeners may have saw on on social media, in which students uh, put up uh, a projection on the library saying, uh, uh, praising the quote-unquote martyrs who uh, murdered 1,400 Israelis. Um, So it's, it's kind of a flashpoint moment in the country, and this is an example of that. I understand. And and the speech teacher that did that, on, let's say, on, on an October 17th email, I see your memo, uh, is uh, teacher Judy Cheng at MS-131 and uh, Dr. Sun Yat-sen, a middle school teacher in uh, New York City's Chinatown. That's right. Judy Cheng is the teacher, and that's the, the middle school, MS-131. And look, this is a uh, uh, this is a public institution, right? This taxpayer dollars are obviously involved here, and that's kind of what Representative Mike Lawler and Anthony Diaz-Bazito, two pro-Israel Republican lawmakers, had told me when I interviewed them. They, uh, aside the fact from the fact that, yes, this is a public institution, 
uh, they're, you know, they, they don't think that a, uh, it's in the jurisdiction for a teacher to be emailing her coworkers, um, uh, sort of downplaying uh, the, you know, a terror attack that just killed 1,400 people. And then, and then uh, Cheng, uh, the school's representative for the United Federation of Teachers, sent it to the union members and claimed uh, she was only speaking only for myself uh, from a personal point of, of view, not for the chapter leader. That's right. Cheng, in a written statement to the Washington Examiner, which we also published in the story, said she, quote, did not give permission to publicize a private email and that she unequivocally uh, does not support terrorism of any kind. Um, um, her, her, she also had said no one is ever justified in targeting innocent civilians, not Hamas, uh, not Israel. The other interesting thing is that this teacher, uh, um, like many other pro-Palestinian supporters, when she, in her response to her email to me, uh, she falsely alleged that Israel was responsible for a recent bombing uh, alleged bombing at a hospital in Gaza when, in fact, actually what happened is a parking lot was actually struck by a failed Palestinian so rocket. If, if, if people want more details, they should go to your, uh, your report in the uh, uh, Washington Examiner. And what is the website for that? That's right. You go to WashingtonExaminer.com. You can read all our stories. And, this, this, uh, okay. and this the reporter is your name, Gabe Kaminsky. That's right. All right. Thank you for, for the update, and let's, uh, let's see what happens, and keep us informed. Yeah, thanks, John. Thank you. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Governor Cuomo, and he has a, a match on his hand on this Tuesday. He is matching up with uh, Scaramucci, the mooch. And they're going to go at it for two hours on the right and the left and punch for punch. Uh, Governor Cuomo, tell us tell us about that two-hour special you're going to be participating with, Scar- with Anthony Scaramucci. Uh, well, good to be with you, John. I'm excited about it, and uh, I think it's a positive, positive step forward. Look, we spend too much time... Uh, talking to each other, uh, meaning that we just talk to people who agree with us, right? Conservatives, watch conservative TV, listen to conservative radio. Uh, Those on the left do the same. And then it's just, it reinforces what you already think. Uh, And we're getting further and further divided uh, in two different camps. We're never going to resolve any issue unless we're willing to talk it through with each other, Uh, not just what the liberals think and what the conservatives think. Uh, We have political paralysis right now. You've always been a Democrat all your life. Uh, Scaramucci uh, uh, worked for uh, uh, President Trump uh, a whole 10 days uh, at the White House. Uh, and uh, uh, so you, you, you both come from different points of view. So what do you think is going to happen on Tuesday? It's Tuesday, 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock, a special of Scaramucci and Governor Cuomo. What, what do you think will happen? Look, let's, uh, uh, Anthony Scaramucci is a very bright guy, uh, knows these issues well, 
Republican, conservative. Uh, let's talk it out. Let's argue it out. Let's debate it out. Let's hear both sides. Um, because it's the only way you're going to resolve anything, right? Nobody's right all of the time. And when you just have conservatives patting each other on the back, or you just have liberals patting each other on the back, you're not getting anywhere. And that's where this country is now. Two different camps, they don't talk to each other. Uh, let's talk it out. Let's be willing I to agree. talk. Uh, I agree. Yeah. Both of us, we always talked about that there's got to be more common sense in America like it's always been uh, in the days of Ronald Reagan and, and uh, was it uh, Tip O'Neill from Boston? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the days of uh, uh, Newt Gingrich and uh, President Bill Clinton, they didn't necessarily like each other, but they sat around the table and made a deal. And right now, Washington is not doing that. You're exactly right. You have two polar camps, polar extremes, each one insisting they're right and really refusing to talk to the other. Right. And that then is not just in the political uh, governmental world, it's resonated through media. Conservatives listen to conservative media. Liberals listen to liberal media. And you get the same message. Yeah, so you have this divide from government through the whole political system. It's not going to solve anything, John. Let's talk it out. Uh, let's argue it out. What's and, and Governor, the other big problem is, the other big problem is that uh, there's so many drugs coming to America uh, from foreign lands and nobody's doing anything about it. Our borders are, uh, are, are broken right now. Our universities, the students are fighting with each other instead of, of, of talking to each other and, and coming up with more common sense solutions. John, you're right. We have major problems. They're only getting worse. And we don't have the ability to even sit down to fashion a solution. We're not even talking about solutions. We're pointing fingers. We're blaming each other. Uh, but we're not, uh, we're not charting a path forward. Uh, and to do that, you have to hear both sides. Uh, and, and let's, and let's uh, find out what makes sense. And uh, let's be willing to talk it, talk it through honestly. Are you uh, and Scaramucci friends? Uh, Anthony and I know each other. I respect him. Uh, we're friends. Uh, we have different points of view, but you can have different points of view, and you can be uh, friends, yes. And uh, I look I forward I to know. listening. Uh, to, what is it? 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock on WABCradio.com worldwide, and I, I look forward to listening to you on Tuesday, and uh, we'll see where things go. What say you? I say it's a necessary first step for this country. We have to realize that we have major problems. We're not making progress. We're not striving for compromise or solutions. Uh, we're not even will willing to listen to the other side. We're not, we're not even listening to the other side. And that's why this is important. Agreed. I'll be seeing you on Tuesday, 1 o'clock. And everybody, the whole world will be listening to you guys. I look forward to it, and we'll catch up then. Thank you so much. Great. Great. Good to talk to you, John. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to WABCRadio.com 
go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. Thank you for being with us for the Cats Roundtable Local Edition, the number one show on Sunday mornings in New York. Keep listening to us for the Cats Roundtable National Edition between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. 718-418-5000. 